Hello and welcome to The Solution, a wellness manifesto. I'm your host, Dr. Nate Lowenstein, with my co-host, Coach Steffi, and this is episode number 12, 1.1 grams of awesome. All right, let's get into it. Before we get into the meat of today's episode, and pretty soon you're going to see what a brilliant pun that was, um, we're going to address some listener comments that we've actually gotten. Uh, so for what it's worth, the first one is exactly what I'm looking for when it comes to comments and feedback or questions that I want. We lay out these episodes with the goal of a relatively short show with some actionable information. But Steph and I come into these discussions with our own priors, with our own assumptions and certain things that we might take for granted. So if we discuss something and you're thinking... Hey, Nate. Hey, Steph. I wish you guys had taken that one step further. Please let me know. So our first listener commentary comes from the clever, witty, and downright brilliant Katie Kuna. I promised her that I would say her name on an episode, so we've checked that box. Her comment is on the vitamin D and calcium. So two weeks ago in Cows, Chickens, and Breakfast, we talked about and essentially left you with the knowledge that milk isn't required for strong and healthy bones. If 65 to 75% of the world population is lactose intolerant, then where oh where should we be looking for calcium and how can we promote long-term bone health? Once again, our priority on this show is going to be on whole food sources. So you're going to start with the 800 grams of whole plant foods. Look there first, green leafy vegetables, spinach and kale being the most abundant. And you want to lightly cook those because the nutrients in them become more bioavailable when you do that. Then there are beans and lentils and edamame, which are all whole foods and all count towards your 800 grams as well. And you're going to find out later that those are also pretty good sources of protein. Also, if you're into sardines or other canned fish, particularly fish that has bones in it like canned salmon, those are loaded with calcium. In addition to plant foods and fish bones, we can find calcium in nuts and seeds, some of the highest sources being chia seeds and almonds. Strong bones, though, are not made just through calcium intake alone. We sort of covered that in in that episode. Uh, Osteoporosis had been treated with calcium supplements for years, which again is like drinking protein shakes and thinking that you will grow muscles, which is ridiculous. So what makes bones strong? You got to exercise them. Right. It's They're very similar to tissues like muscles and tendons. So what makes muscles and tendons stronger? Exercise. Exercise. So the same principle essentially applies to bone. You can look this up. It's called Wolf's Law. It essentially states that bones remodel based on stress. So when we tax the muscles that are attached to those bones, we're going to tax the bones in the process, and the bones will adapt and get stronger where those muscles are pulling on them. In addition to that, loading up the skeleton with things like squats and deadlifts, you're going to see an increase in bone density. Frankly, the research is loaded with papers that support load-bearing exercise for improved bone mineral density in elderly and diabetic populations and other populations as well. So if we want to oversimplify it, if you put tissue under stress or exercise and then you allow that tissue to recover, which is the important part, it will come back stronger. Or, Steffi, if you don't use it, you'll lose it. You'll lose it. (laughs) The response to Blake's episode was overwhelmingly positive. People really enjoyed that interview and listened to someone talk about running forever and ever. Uh, Not to worry, we will have other guest hosts on the episodes coming down the pipeline, including one where Steffi gets hypnotized, right? No, hard pass. (laughs) (laughs) That's you. That's me. All right, we'll see. (laughs) 
I did hear from a couple people, though, that the foods we discussed that Blake was eating on her race day and then the jelly bellies that I ate during my half marathon, those don't fall into line with foods that I recommend here. And I did get that from a couple people. Now, you're right. And we will, without a doubt, do an episode on metabolic pathways and how we process and store nutrients. We will cover that for sure. Um, I doubt even in that episode, we'll go into a deep dive on how to fuel for a long endurance event. It seems kind of outside of the scope of this show, but I guess you never know. At any rate, the quick and short answer for that conversation is that when you're doing an endurance event like that, you'll likely need to fuel during the event. The most readily available fuel for use for energy production is going to be sugar and simple forms like those uh, gels that Mm. Blake was talking about. Those are easy to digest. If you recall from our conversation, Blake had a priority on regularly taking in reasonable amounts of calories to keep her going, to keep herself warm. When she did eat food, it was small portions, and she was running 100 miles. So that's a far stretch from housing an entire row of Oreo cookies while binging Parks and Rec reruns on Netflix. It is often said that you can't out-exercise a bad diet. I've said that. I agree with that. But running 20-plus miles a day might prove me wrong on Okay, and then another message I got, which is actually the topic for this week, we got a question on protein intake, how much is good for weight loss, uh, how much do I need to accomplish my goals? That was actually the thing that we had kind of planned on talking about today, so that was lucky. It needs to be said that this is a heavy topic. There's ongoing research. There's nuance in it with regard to what is best for specific population, whether you have diabetes, whether you're you know, trying to lose weight, what is the right amount of protein intake? So this is likely a topic that may have to be revisited as we learn more on the subject, and there's no way we'll cover everything about protein intake in the time that we have left, but I've got some pretty helpful research that's available now that should help to get at least get the conversation going, and who knows, maybe this will bring on more questions, which would be cool. As it stands, it's estimated that somewhere between 40 and 47% of Americans don't consume enough protein right now, but what does that mean? I mean, what is enough? When we look at uh, government recommendations, which is a great place to start, the recommended daily allowance. So, Steph, what is the recommended daily allowance? What does that mean? The amount that they suggest that you intake every day. Right. I think everybody gets that from that. But what it actually means is the amount needed to maintain the health of roughly 98% of individuals in any given group. So when you see RDAs, this is where they're getting that from. They're just saying this is healthy for most people. The RDA for adult men and women is 0.8 grams of protein roughly per kilogram or per 2.2 pounds of body weight. So that RDA is usually reported as a single value in the United States. The RDA for women is actually 46 grams a day and men is 56 grams a day of protein. When you dig into the research a little bit, you're going to find that this really represents a bare minimum and may not even be enough. But keep in mind that 45% of Americans are failing to meet that standard. Is that important? Well, it actually is. And I think it's more important than it gets credit for because the known benefits of adequate protein intake, and this is the stuff that's well represented. I mean, what, what do you think of? Like, why do you eat protein? What do you need it for? Well, muscle repair. Right. So muscle repair, but is that it? And I think that's what most people think. And it doesn't get a lot of credit because that's what it's known for. Anything else? Well, you say all the time, if you're hungry, eat protein. Good. That's another one. So it is a satiating nutrient. It will help you feel full and keep you from snacking, which is one of the biggest benefits of it in in a healthy whole food diet. So other known benefits. Yes, it does 
cause muscle protein synthesis. We want that. It also has been shown to preserve lean body mass, muscle strength, and muscle function as we age, which is great. Here's a surprising one, better bone mineral density, and then also improve markers of glucose metabolism, which is really important when we're talking about the development of type 2 diabetes. And there are other benefits, but those are the ones that are, have the most strong support behind them. So you can kind of see protein intake has a lot to do with overall health. And most people aren't getting enough protein, and we don't even know if the numbers they've given us are enough. Now, even the government will say, and again, throwing it back to Steph, so if I've given you the RDA on 97 to 98%, what would you say would happen if I took a, an athlete, a physically active person? Oh, it'd be, they wouldn't have enough. Right. So we would assume a physically active person should have more. And the government recommendations change here. The general guideline is 1 to 1.8 grams per kilogram, which is a kilogram is 2.2 pounds. So they're recommending this 1 to 1.8 grams per kilogram of body weight. And then your protein needs also go up with things like injuries and sickness and post-surgery. So if you're looking at this, you, you have to understand that if you're recovering from anything, whether it's exercise and training or illness and injury, your protein demands are higher. Make sense? Yes. The biggest question really is, what does the evidence say the right amount is? And I found a few studies that I think warrant discussion on the topic, and there's kind of a lot to get through. So I'm just going to try to hit the high notes and explain the findings Keeping in mind that this is an, like I said earlier, it's an active area of study. So I'll try to give you some practical application on how to use this stuff. And I, I will admit that we're going to get into the weeds a little bit on this research. But what you need to know is this is a hotly argued and debated topic and tertiary information. So if you read an article in the news, that does not stack up to published studies. So I'm going to hand you some published studies just so we have somewhere to work with. Now, if you're not a very active person, uh, the recommendations we've already discussed should suit you just fine. But as Steph and I mentioned earlier, and I asked Steph, if you're an active person, should you have more protein? And you said, yes. And who among us should be active people? Well, all of us. Yes, everyone. So if we take that into account, then we should all be considering how much protein intake an active person needs, because that's what you need to be. If you find yourself in a position where weight loss is important, or if you're trying to get stronger, then it becomes a little nuanced. Now, since the majority of America is overweight and obese, and that's kind of the foundation on the show, we're going to start with that group. So here's a study. So in, in a study, they put people in a 40% calorie deficit. And when I say that, what I mean is that the researchers understand how many calories these people are burning in a day, including their exercise, and they're taking 40% of those away. So in a 40% deficit while they're exercising four to five times a week, the participants in the group that were getting the low protein, so they're getting one gram per kilogram of body weight, they lost uh, roughly three and a half pounds of lean mass, meaning in that short period of time over the course of only a couple weeks of training, they lost three and a half pounds of muscle. Yeah, that's bad. That is bad. The group given 2.3 grams, so almost twice, well, just a little over twice the recommended amount, actually, they only lost two-thirds of one pound of lean mass. Like, that's a significant, that's a huge difference. Yeah, that's way better. And it matters for a lot of reasons because maintaining lean mass is, is crucial. This muscle mass helps to process energy. So if you're trying to lose weight, the more muscle that's processing energy, the better. It's a storage form of protein uh, and energy, actually. Better lean body mass equates to better fitness and function. Uh, in short, we want to limit any muscle loss. So 
This particular study in their conclusion notes that 2.4 grams per kilogram was necessary. And when you break that down, it equals about 1.1 grams per pound of body weight, which is just easier math for anybody listening. So this amount is what was studied in terms of maintaining lean body while you're trying to lose fat. And I told you that diets were bad and that they fail. And that's correct. I did tell you that. But are we wanting our listeners to go on a diet? No. No. So you're not going on a diet. What are we doing? We're changing our lifestyle. Right. And that's part of what we want to consider. Other studies have recommended resistance trained athletes consume as much as 2.3 to 3.1 grams per kilogram of body weight. So you can see that range goes well past that 1.1. And again, we're talking about athletes that are trying to take, the, take in enough protein to enhance their performance. Then we looked at a couple of meta-analyses, which a meta-analysis is when researchers group several papers together so that they can perform statistical analysis on a larger sample. The important stuff that I pulled out of two of those is that there was benefit to increasing consumption beyond the 1.6 to 2.4 grams per kilogram. This is around 0.7 to 1.1 grams per pound. So you can see that this number, this 1.1, it just keeps coming up over and over again in multiple studies. When it comes to timing, and this is important too, because you will read anecdotally, you probably have read this. When's the best time to take protein? I don't know. Never heard anything about it? Uh-uh. Well, lots of people will say before a workout, after a workout, sometimes oh, during a workout. I've heard after. It turns out in these meta-analyses, several studies have shown that timing is not necessarily relevant compared to getting enough protein. So the math that we're trying to do, this 1.1 grams per pound of body weight, is far more important than making sure you get that shake in post-workout. Some studies have shown that uh, protein before bed did actually increase mean protein synthesis. So this would be a good thing again in terms of recovery. And we often say that when you're sleeping, you're recovering. Steph's a big fan of recovery. Oh, I love to recover. <laughs> <laughs> protein before bed could prove beneficial in recovery from exercise. And in this particular study, they did say whey protein, which is a complete protein, and it didn't get compared to others. It got compared to branched-chain amino acids, which is an incomplete protein. So the whey protein, which is complete, was superior to supplementing with only the BCAAs. Now, that is a handful to digest, and I know that. So I'm going to come back and re-summarize the takeaway. For about or a little more than half of us, we really need to look at increasing our protein intake over what we currently eat, right? Yeah. So our intake should land somewhere in the ballpark of, what would you say, Steph, now that we've been through all that? Where do you land? 1.1 gram per pound of body weight. Yep. That's the number that it shows up a lot. So that's one that you can kind of just start from. The caveat is, if you happen to be carrying a significant amount of body fat, okay, you may want to calculate that based on lean body mass which would just be take, getting your weight and then subtracting the percent that is body fat. You can use calipers or a tape test. There's stuff all over online to do that with. Now, if I'm asking you to know how much protein you're taking in, what does that mean in terms of your day-to-day -day routine? What's about to change? Oh, you got to track. You're going to track. You need a scale. Well, we're going to give you some options. The, the best way to know exactly is to... Weigh it. Is to track. But if you want to keep it simple, so remember with 800 grams, I said eight eight fist size handfuls or a salad plate full. So that's fine if you don't want to go into the degree of tracking. 
I will say that at some stage, some tracking is going to be so that you get a really accurate account of your intake. But for now, here's the tricks that we'll give you. The palm of an adult hand. Steph, what would you say that is equivalent to if you had to guess? Four ounces. Boom. I think she cheated. I think she knew that already. (laughs) It is a four ounce portion. So if you cut a piece of meat that's roughly the size of your hand or the palm of your hand, not your whole hand, uh, four ounces of steak, pork, or chicken is going to get you in the ballpark of 30 grams of protein. Okay. Four ounces of seafood is around 25 grams. One cup of most beans or lentils is going to put you between 15 and 17 grams. And edamame is a whopping 31 grams per cup. So remember, we want to try to get a bulk of our calories from whole foods. We're trying to be good most of the time. That's lifestyle, not diet. Should you need to supplement, the amount of protein per serving is going to be written on the product that you buy. Just pay attention to the product you're buying and the added sugar and protein bars and protein shakes. You want to be careful of that stuff. At the end of the day, adequate intake of quality protein from whole foods is very important to your health for multiple reasons that we've been over. Not just lean body mass, but bone density, long-term longevity, health, recovery from illness and injury. We need it for all that stuff. So it's worth taking some time in life to start understanding how much protein you're getting and how much you should be getting. With anything we discuss on this show, the research that's available doesn't know you. Does it know your activity level stuff? No. Like Pat Sherwood, does it know how much sleep you got last night? (laughs) Does it know your stress level? It doesn't. It doesn't. The research doesn't know anything about you. Okay, so we're trying to pull information and, and apply it across a broad swath of people, which we definitely have to be careful about. So the best way forward is to kind of figure out what you're trying to accomplish, whether it's weight loss, whether it's growing, and then set a level starting around that one gram, 1.1 gram, and see how you do. If you're doing the 800 grams and you want to add in protein tracking and start understanding how much protein is going in, great. Get started with that. And then write down some numbers, figure out what you're doing, what protein you're taking in, what you're trying to accomplish with that, and then give yourself a reasonable period of time, you know, two, four weeks, and see how it's going. Make sure you have some measurements, you know, whether you're doing a caliper test or tape test, something to compare it to. And also keep in mind that this is in addition to eating the 800 grams. We're going to talk a little bit in next week's episode about why that balance is so important, why I don't think you should just be eating four pounds of meat every day. If you have specific questions, you can send them my way, but keep this in mind. On the show, we're giving general guidelines and considerations based on available research. I can't diagnose and treat individual or specific conditions or build you a meal plan via email. And everything I'm giving you is in the context of the whole package. Don't get lost in the minutia. Just understand that as a general rule, we want the 800 grams and the amount of protein we're taking is important. Now, next week, unless I'm struck by lightning again, our protein saga is going to continue. We're going to talk about some sources of protein, some myths and legends associated with some of those sources. And then we're going to visit some of the data available on protein intake relative to total caloric intake, like how much protein relative to your other macronutrients um, is important. I do hope you're enjoying the show so far. Uh, You know, follow, like, share, star, do all that fun stuff so more people can learn about us and our awesomeness. And please keep the comments and messages coming. It'll help us build future episodes. All right, we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for joining me today on The Solution, a wellness manifesto. I appreciate you being here. 
I hope that the information we covered in this week's episode was beneficial to you and that you can apply it into your life to help yourself move away from sickness and towards health. I'd like to thank my sponsor, Functional Performance Chiropractic and Wellness, for their ongoing support. And I'd like to appeal to you. If you know anyone who would benefit from the information we're talking about on this show, and I know you do, please refer them back to episode number one so we can all get started on the same page. I look forward to working with you and them. Until next week, take good care of yourself.